0: It's a pleasure to be here uh, with you all again. I think the last time I was here, I preached the opening, uh, kind of the introduction to the book of 1 Peter that we've been going through, and I, I trust you've been enriched by it um, as much as I have. Um, this has just been a, a, a neat book uh, to, to study and to uh, to grow in together together and uh, hopefully we'll just continue in that vein. Uh, We are in uh, 1 Peter chapter four, verses seven through 11, uh, and and I'd like to read the passage, so if we could stand and and, uh, receive God's word today. 1 Peter four, seven through 11, and I'll be reading from the, the ESV. The end of all things is at hand Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word We praise you for what Christ has done for us, and we ask that you would teach us this morning. Help us to obey these things. Show us the places in our own hearts, in our own lives, where we can put these things into practice, where we can love earnestly and show hospitality and speak your words and serve one another, so that you will be glorified in Jesus Christ among us for his sake. We pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite musicals, uh, based on one of my favorite books, is Les Miserables. Any Les Mis fans out there? Okay, all right. Now, if you feel like you're not at the party here. Um, you need you need to go see yourself some Les Mis first of all. But um, it, it's it's an epic uh, musical based on an epic book by Victor Hugo, f- uh, 1,500 pages long. If you read a chapter a night, uh, you could finish it in a year. 365 chapters. That's right. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's a wonderful book of of, uh, the redemption of the protagonist, a man named Jean Valjean, who's this hardened criminal, but he uh, finds uh, redemption and his life is changed and has this amazing ripple effect to the lives of others, those who are less fortunate. And one of my favorite characters in both the uh, musical and the book is it actually a, a relatively minor character. In fact, he's only on stage for about three minutes and 20 seconds. I timed it. And that's the bishop. Uh, and uh, if you don't know who he is, uh, his name is, uh, he, he has a nickname. His, his real name is Muriel, but his nickname is Father Bienvenue, which means Father Welcome. And how did he get that nickname? Well, because of his hospitality and his welcoming uh, presence uh, to anyone and everyone. And it only takes about three minutes and twenty seconds uh, for for the following things to happen early on in this story in the musical. Uh, Jean Valjean is a criminal he has a yellow ticket it marks him as uh, an unsavory individual and therefore he is not welcome anywhere he can't find work uh, he can't find lodging even a dog chases him out of a dog house uh, if you read the book that, that's in there um, and uh, b- except for this this bishop, Father Welcome, who welcomes him in, gives him a humble meal, but served on these uh, silver uh, with these silver place settings and silver ca- silver candlesticks, uh, which then he's eyeballing and decides that he is going to go and uh, go ahead and in the middle of the night he gets up and he robs the bishop. He takes the silver. He is apprehended. He is brought back to confront, uh, be confronted by his victim and instead of receiving judgment, he receives mercy and he receives grace and he receives pardon and he receives the silver that he stole and he is given God's words of forgiveness and he is pronounced to be a new <laughs> creature. A new, a new man who now must use the grace that he's been given to be honest and to do good and, and to be righteous. And it's that one act, the, 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 the act of welcome and the act of grace that revolutionizes this one man's life that then spills over into the life of the orphan, Cosette, and changes her life forever. And what I love about this is that, you know, three minutes and 20 seconds on, you know, a, a two-plus-hour musical, right? In the book, uh, you know, just, just a handful of pages, uh, less than the Battle of Waterloo, which is, takes up 50 pages. Although, interestingly, the bishop himself, the description given to him is 50 pages, 50 pages and 50 pages. Battle of Waterloo, changed history between the, the English and the French. And yet, one, one act by, by a single person changed the life of so many people forever. And I think we need to have that kind of faith that our hospitality, our earnest love, our faithfulness in speaking the very words of God, even in the smallest space we're given, can have tremendous effects. So I, I want us to, to look through this passage and listen to it and listen to what God might be saying to you and to, and to me about how do we become uh, a welcoming church? How do we become Christ's ambassadors in this way? Um, and so before we walk through, I, I want us to first give it some context textually and then what's, what's Peter's purpose for this passage? Um, because it might seem to you, as it seemed to me when I first read this, that this is sort of, it's like, did, did Peter intend to end the book here? And then he thought, you know, and then he had some more things to come up with. Uh, he, he, get, he launches into this doxology. he just kind of throws some random things out there. Oh, and by the way, practice hospitality and do this and serve and all of that. Amen. Oh, I got some more things to say. Um, it, it, I don't think that's what's happening. I think uh, he can't help himself. He's praising God, but this passage actually follows on the heels um, uh, of verses one through six that was preached last Sunday. And so that's the first uh, big idea I want us to see that as in terms of purpose, um, if if we'll uh, get a, get it up there then, um, these verses that we have are a continuation of Peter's thoughts about, look, you used to be this way. You walked as the Gentiles walked, and now he's contrasting the life of the Christ follower with the life that is centered on self and sensuality, as it mentions in verse three, as, as the Gentiles uh, want to do, okay? So this is really just a, a, a part two. Look, you used to be uh, engaged in drunkenness and debauchery and all of this, but now, no, be sober-minded, Love earnestly, practice hospitality. So it's actually the practical antithesis. It's not just don't, it's do this in its place. So that's, that's the first thing that we need to recognize. Uh, the second thing that we need to recognize about these verses uh, in terms of purpose is uh, I believe that what Peter is wanting us to do through these exhortations is to strategically create opportunities to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed. He's giving us practical ways to create opportunities in which we can proclaim uh, the gospel in both word and deed. And then, third, the ultimate purpose, of course, we see at, th- at the end of the passage in verse 11, it's to glorify God. It is to glorify God by showing and telling what Christ did for us and thereby exalt his power and dominion. And we can't miss that last, that third thing. So those are the three, uh, the big whys. Why this passage here? Why, why is Peter writing this? And so we can have those in the back of our minds as we walk through. But as we walk through, let's listen to what God might be laying on your heart uh, in, in very practical terms. This is a wonderfully practical uh, passage. And uh, sometimes you just go with, with with the obvious and what's in front of us. So um, let's just uh, jump in it then. Uh, starting in verse seven, uh, Peter turns to uh, the, the way the Christian life should look uh, and by saying the end of all things is at hand. Uh, Peter clearly anticipated the return of Christ within his lifetime. Uh, you know he he says this in uh, chapter one verse thirteen. Uh, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought uh, at the revel brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Second Peter, and and we'll be preaching through that in the fall. In Second Peter, better part of the third chapter, he actually has to maybe do a little bit of damage control because people are like, hey, you, you said you know, <laughs> he, the end of all things is near and he hasn't come back yet, and people are scoffing. And he says, look, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some account slowness to be, but he's patient, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but it will come like, he will come like a thief, and so be ready. And so Peter is, is getting us uh, fixated on that because there's nothing like that imminent return of Christ um, that, that reminds us, this is our hope, right? Uh, and, and, and if he could come at a moment, we wanna be ready, and we wanna work um, like there's no tomorrow, and this is why then we are to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Peter talks about being sober-minded uh, in, in one thirteen, as I said, and he also talks about being sober-minded in 5.8, right? Uh, be sober and vigilant, why? Because the devil is prowling, okay? So we need to have a seriousness. We need to have an earnestness. Now, what does that have to do with our prayer life? Well, I, I think one thing is clear. We need to pray with a seriousness, a sobriety of mind. We are not to engage in debauchery and drunkenness. Rather, we're to be sober-minded. Uh, Wayne Grudem puts it this way. He, he, he joins these two things together, and he says, um, how, do, how do sober-mindedness and self-control go with prayer? He says, we ought to pray in a way that is intelligent, clear-headed, and serious, not ignorant, muddled, frivolous. Okay? When, we, when we go to prayer, when we go to God in prayer, uh, we should have that, uh, that, that focus, be, be fixated on the things that God is fixated on. So then how do we, what do we pray for? What are the things that we ought to pray for? What kinds of opportunities? How are we to live in contrast to the life of we used to uh, live. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. If you could sum up the entire law in one command is love. Love God and love others. And earnestly, sincerely, has this idea of being in a genuine way and why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Perhaps echoing Proverbs 10:12, that says, "Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all sins." You see, as Christians, we have received grace. We have received God's mercy. We've got, we have got. We've received the, all the forgiveness we need. And if we truly love earnestly, if we truly are struck by that grace, then that will overflow and that will cover over the sins of others, perhaps giving us the, the wisdom to know when we need to just, all right, uh, we'll cover that sin, okay? That, uh, let's be patient. God's not done with them yet. But we ought to be quick to forgive. We should never withhold forgiveness. We should always look to cover people's sins with the, with the forgiveness and pronunci- uh, pronunciation of grace that God has given us. And then how do we do this practically? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this might sound like kind of a random, okay, he jumps from one thing to the next, but really, he's, he's, gonna, he's putting feet on this. How do we love one another earnestly? Well, you can start by practicing hospitality. Now, I don't know about you, what, what, what do you envision when you hear the word hospitality? Okay, We actually get our word hospita- uh, hospital, uh, a place that takes in the sick and, and that kind of a thing. Uh, Germans call it a krankhaus, I think. It's like sick house is literally what it means. Uh, yeah, not as... Uh, but. Where you know what? What do you envision? Uh, do you do you envision a, a home that's kind of welcome and kind of a I don't know a June cleaver baking muffins and you know kind of thing? Um, you might have a lot of associations with hospitality. Um, in the ancient world and, and in the historical context, hospitality was something that was widely practiced. Uh, by Near Eastern cultures, if you were a stranger uh, coming through town, you, it was the expectation that somebody would show you hospitality. They would offer you a meal, they would offer you lodging uh, for, for the night or as long as you needed to. And Jesus himself made use of this tradition of hospitality. Uh, when he sent his disciples out in pairs, you recall, he said, all right, go to a town and whoever's worthy, if they receive you, you stay there and just stay at the same place okay, while you're preaching. And if they don't receive you, well, then shake the dust off your sandals as a a testimony against them. And uh, scholars tell us that in the early church, this became the practice. And in fact, then, hospitality became a vehicle for the evangelism explosion, the sending out of the gospel, because what it allowed for were traveling missionaries and evangelists to go and stay. They would stay with believers and have all of their needs met so that they could preach the gospel, so that the gospel could spread and, and go out. Now, that's the uh, immediate historical context. What does that look for today for us? Well, number one, we've got, we have a, a wonderful um, gift in that we have sent many missionaries out from among us, and the great thing about it is they also come back when they when they 're here on furlough they come back we 've got the woodruffs in town and they shared with us last weekend in, 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 uh, in service at la Mirada and we 're just reporting on all the, all the wonderful things that that Christ is doing uh, in their ministry, and so we can practice hospitality that way when our missionaries come back, reach out, get to know who they are. Uh, you know, have, have them over for a meal, meet their needs so that they can be strengthened and continue the work of the gospel. But does it end there? And I want to suggest no. I, I, I think it's, this is a profoundly practical passage. Um, what does it mean to show hospitality deep down? What's the core idea I came across a definition of hospitality from a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga in a little book called *Engaging God's World*, and here's his definition of hospitality. Hospitality means to make room for others, and then help them flourish in the room you have made. It's that simple. Hospitality means to make room for others, to create a space for other people, and then to help them flourish in the room that you have made. Now just ponder on that for a moment. What are the rooms in your life? Where are the places in your life where you can create space, where you already create space? Where are the places this church creates space? Not just to have people come in, but so they can flourish, okay? Now, Planiga, in giving this definition, he goes on to say he believes that this is an essential uh, outflowing of the, the character of the triune God, that God himself is supremely hospitable. And as I meditated on this, I thought back through the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I realized this is an essential quality of God, starting with creation, and the garden of eden god creates a space so that and puts people in it so that they can flourish and of course we screwed that up big time but his hospitality didn't end there yes they were forcibly removed from the garden but there was still that promise right and abraham received that promise and he says go to the land i will show you i will take you to this land and then later israel comes into this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, already furnished, as it were. In the 23rd Psalm, prepare a, a table for me in the presence of my enemies, even in a hostile place. In the New Testament, we have Jesus feeding the multitudes, giving them sustenance, food, so that they can sit attentively and listen and hear all the things he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. We hear it in the upper room discourse where Jesus tells his disciples, behold, I go and I prepare. I will go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. The thief on the cross, you will be with me today in paradise. And someday the new Jerusalem, the city of God, come down from heaven like like a bride adorned for her husband, that's for us. And it's a city that says, welcome to those who are in Christ. Has 12 gates. (laughs) It's it's a lot of entry entry places, right? It's 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 a welcoming place for those who are in Christ. So when we practice hospitality, when we make room for others and help them flourish, then we actually become mediators of what God has been doing all along. We become mediators of Christ's love. It reflects the essence of earnest love. Hospitality is the essence of earnest love because it requires sacrifice, doesn't it? It requires sacrifice of time, of space, resources, energy. But it gives us the opportunity to speak God's word into the lives of those we've welcomed in his name. And of course, Peter has to add that writer, doesn't he? Without grumbling. Now, I think if we understand the gospel, the not grumbling part takes care of itself, doesn't it? It becomes a joy to become like God in this. But but we need to address this, don't we? I mean... how many of you have ever grumbled about doing something good? You've done something good and you grumbled about it. Is that the most idiotic thing, right? You catch yourself, I, I, you know, I catch myself like, I'm doing something good and I feel rotten about it. It just shows me how warped I am, right? Do it without grumbling. Because, and, and I love it, because Peter recognizes how frail people are, right? How frail we are. It, it, it takes a lot out of people, right? Two weeks ago, um, inexplicably, we found our home blessed with three little kittens. <laughs> yes, they're very, yeah. But they're work. <laughs> and they are a mess. And they smell. And they're terribly cute. I love kittens, don't get me wrong. But they're a mess, and right? And you have this this tension, right? Why did we take on these kittens? If anybody wants a kitten um, i 'll start the bidding at i 'll pay you five dollars so I have ten um, no they're w- actually yeah we 're getting far too attached to them um, but but even with something as precious as a you know a little little kitten, you know maybe some of you don 't like cats uh, you know you 're not getting this at all, but even what you know People you like, you know, it, it, it can be, you know, you're like, oh, the house is a mess and all that. We have these reasons why it, 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 it sometimes is difficult. And, and, and we are, we're, we're, you know, we have busy lives, we have cluttered lives in many ways. And so Peter has to remind us without grumbling. Well, how do we keep from grumbling? What's at the heart of hospitality, really? I think it's generosity, True hospitality then, it's not just an act. It's it's an act motivated by an attitude, and the attitude is generosity, which is the opposite of greed. Greed says, I'm worried that I'm not gonna get what I need. And generosity says, I'm worried that you're not gonna get what you need. And and that's the heart of Christ. That's Christ in us saying to our neighbors, I'm worried that you're not gonna get what you need. and, And I wanna help you provide it. And I want to create that space so that you can have that. See, we don't want to we don't want to hoard grace. And and the way we, we combat that 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 hoarder of grace mentality, right? The, the 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 talents that God has entrusted to us is is generous hearts that are that are thankful hearts. Because we have to recognize that everything we have our time, our materials, our food, our our property, everything is on loan. It is being loaned to us by God to see what we will do with it, and will we be faithful? So, we, we need to pray and guard against the attitudes, uh, you know, wrong attitudes about uh, practicing hospitality, don't we? Um, a, a few attitudes we should pray against and guard ourselves against. Number one would be duty. Okay. We we could we could perform hospitality out of a sense of duty, right? Do your duty for duty's sake. I've done my Christian duty in welcoming you. <laughs> okay. uh, my parents uh, have been visiting us, and they're going to leave tomorrow morning. And, and they were here uh, during during first service. And uh, what what if at the end of their visit, you know, as they always say, "Oh, thanks thanks for your hospitality, thanks for for having us," uh, and, and instead of saying we love it. It's, it. It was a pleasure. Uh, I said something like, "Well, you know, uh, God commands us to practice hospitality and uh, and to honor our father and mother. So I'm just obeying. I'm just I'm I'm doing what you taught me, Dad. Uh, is is simply to obey. It, that that would not honor them, would it? That would dishonor uh, those who gave me birth and life and, uh, and, a, and a foundation in the faith, right? So we can't just do it out of mere duty. Now, let's, let's just remind ourselves, sanctification is an ongoing process. There's a continuum. And obeying is better than not obeying, okay? Now, And we shouldn't say that to pat ourselves on the back, but to give glory to God and say, all right, God, you've moved me this far, thank you. Now help me with the attitude part, okay? Help me to do it joyfully. Um, Another reason, uh, though, that we could get trapped in, uh, another mentality we could get trapped in with hospitality that we need to guard against and pray against soberly um, is that we would use hospitality as a way uh, to maintain our level of social acceptance, right? For social acceptance, to kind of grease the wheels of... uh, you know, of of being in with the right people. Does that make sense? Um, to, to illustrate this, let's uh, think of Luke fourteen verses twelve through fourteen. You can go there quickly, but I'll uh, if you want, but I'll I'll, I'll just read it. Uh, context is Jesus has been asked, invited into the home of a scribe, so he's the recipient of hospitality in this uh, you know teacher of the laws home, um, and then he proceeds to lecture them on hospitality. Isn't that delicious, okay? Pardon the pun. Uh, You know, when you invited Jesus to dinner, you you never knew what you were, you know, you were taking a risk. Um, And so Jesus then then turns and says, you know what, You, you think you're practicing hospitality? I'll tell you what hospitality is. And so in verse 12, he says to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, he's not saying never invite your family over for stuff, okay, Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of those things, never invite your friends, but what he's addressing is why are you doing this, okay, and how can you give God's uh, love and favor to those who can't pay you back? Now, if you're like me, when you hear stuff like that, you tend to want to overcorrect, um, and we can't overcorrect the other way. We don't want to go around with with a superior attitude. We don't want to practice hospitality with an attitude of superiority, like "Oh, you you look like someone who cannot pay me back, or won't." <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> come into my home. <laughs> okay, uh, y- you know that's actually that's exactly the attitude that he was addressing with the Pharisees. They thought they were better than than, than everyone else, and so we can't. We can't have that attitude either. See, what Jesus was telling them was, look, you all are spiritually blind and poor and crippled and lame. And God, in his salvation, has welcomed us in in such a way that we can never repay him. See, that's what hospitality is to serve as a reminder for. The kind of hospitality that we should practice. That's why we don't have a thought of, well, are they going to reciprocate? It, it shouldn't even enter our minds, and it doesn't need to. Why? Because we realize, and we're content with that, because we realize that everything we have is grace, is abundance. We are the recipients of God's generosity in a way that we could never repay so when we then distribute that to others we are becoming like him we're becoming more and more like him verse 10 as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's varied grace the word gift and grace are actually the same root it's gift gift what we've been given be good stewards, manage it well. What will you do with your talent? Would you hold onto it in your fist, bury it in the earth, or are you gonna seek a return? I love that word, varied. God's church is varied. We all have such different gifts and abilities and things that the Lord has granted to us for a time. So whatever God has gifted you with, and it might seem insignificant. It might seem like a little blip on the radar. That three minutes and 20 seconds in the musical, use it. Use it to serve others and help them flourish. Specifically. Now, at this point, we could cut off the sermon and, and, and everybody in the room, uh, non-Christians alike, could feel pretty good and warm and fuzzy, perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah, just welcome people, love them, welcome them. But what about verse 11? Where is this all headed? Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. You see, when we welcome people into a space for them to flourish, that includes a place where truth can be spoken. We cannot flourish without truth. We cannot flourish without God's word. And so we don't want to just stop short of, we've had you uh, into this space, we felt good, we've had a nice meal, that kind of thing. That's great, and we should do that. But what's the overall point? And this is where Christians sound now very weird and sometimes very offensive. Oh, you mean? You don't, you're not loving me just, just for me? Actually, I'm loving you because of God. And that chaps at people. Because we, we like to think it's all about us, don't we? But that's not where Peter's headed. Whoever serves as, the one, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. You see, the purpose of bringing people close through hospitality and service is so that we can Give them a safe place to speak God's words to them so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now, a word of caution. This doesn't mean that everything we say is from God. We don't want to use this verse as a covering for, I kind of want to say something to somebody and uh, I'm just going to tell them that God told me to tell them that. Okay? We can't, we can't do that. that. That could lead to something like spiritual abuse. Um. I think what it means is that we should be so saturated with God's word, we should be so saturated with God's word and the gospel that it should flow naturally from us. And and, and man, how we need to pray for that. Because I know if you're like me, it doesn't always come naturally, right? You think five minutes after the conversation, oh, I should have said, right? Oh, that could have gone better. Put my foot in my mouth. We need to constantly pray for that. We ought to guard our speech with sobriety, self-control, and prayer because we are Christ's ambassadors, right? And we can't miss this, this phrase here, through Christ Jesus, okay? It's for God's glory through Christ Jesus. We don't want to miss that phrase. It can easily become a throwaway phrase in a doxology like this in and in a closing, closing thought. Because we have to remember, we should step back from this passage, and yes, it's very practical, yes, it's very focused on us and what we ought to do, but if we really look at it, we realize, wow, Christ already did all of that. This tells us who Christ is. You see, it was Christ before us who was self-controlled and sober-minded and devoted to prayer, It was Christ before us who loved us earnestly, who covered a multitude of our sins by his death on the cross. It was Christ before us who was supremely hospitable and never grumbled about it. It was Christ before us who was full of grace and truth and therefore stewarded God's gifts and served others, speaking the very oracles of God in the power of the Holy Spirit as God supplied him strength so that his father would be glorified. All of this is actually a testimony to what Christ has already done. In all of these things, Christ is before us and we therefore must follow in his steps. Our whole life should point to the glory and the dominion which Christ already has and will be revealed at the end of all things. I want us to look at some practical questions then uh, and and, and meditate on them and and think about these things. What what would this look like in our own lives? How how is the Lord pushing and prodding us? What places in our hearts? One question for for meditation, for application, first one. Right off the bat, I I don't want to assume that everybody here is a believer and actually knows the Lord, and knows the gospel. The first question I would have is, have I accepted God's gracious hospitality to me through his son? Have have I accepted the welcome that, that he offers in faith? If you've come here this morning thinking that Christianity is just all about uh, everybody being a child of God and, and kind of the universal brotherhood of mankind and uh, God kind of looks, looks the other way with sin and, and uh, you know, your, your good works are gonna outweigh your bad works. As long as that, that's okay, you're, you're fine. If you came with that, that conception of Christianity, then I want to uh, gently correct that. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so the question is, what will you do with Jesus? The only way you can be welcomed into his father's house is through him. But the good news is he has laid out the welcome mat. He has spread it wide. He gave us his own body, sacrifice for sin. He gave us his own blood to atone for all the wrong we've ever done and will ever do. And he's given us his righteousness so that he can then lavish on us the riches of heaven. And so, if, if you don't know Christ, if you don't know this welcome that is yours, then, then I invite you to talk with me or, or one of the other elders after uh, service today. Uh, we would love to tell you more about this glorious gospel. Question two What places in my life need more seriousness, sobriety, or self control? Maybe you have some thoughts. Maybe, maybe jot them down. Maybe it's before your mind. Where, where, where do you need more seriousness? Where do you need more sober-mindedness? Maybe even sobriety. Maybe you're struggling with something. Where in your life you realize, I need to get serious. I need to get serious about my relationship with God, and following Christ, and, and that needs to manifest itself in my prayers. When I pray, what do I pray about? When I pray, uh, John Piper uh, uses this analogy. He says sometimes we use prayer uh, like, like, you know the phone for room service. And really, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. OK. And that's convicting to to, to think about. I I often go to prayer as, you know, uh, rooms, uh, would you be so kind (laughs) to send down an item or two, okay? right. Versus, God, I'm in the trenches. I am trying to obey, and my attitude's wrong. I need a change of heart stat. And I know I'm mixing my metaphors because that's medicine. But um, you get the idea, Okay. Well, where do I need that? Number three, maybe it's in the realm of hospitality. Uh, Do I cheerfully create spaces for others to feel welcome and nourished for the sake of the gospel so that I can build relationships, start conversations, start friendships where the gospel will be on display and where I can actually speak it? Where, where is the Lord maybe leading you? Think about the spaces in your life. And it doesn't matter who you are, right? Whether it's at work, you go to work with the kind of cubicle mentality. Maybe you don't work in a literal cubicle, but you have a cubicle mentality. Right? It's easy to fall into that, isn't there? Uh, it, where it's just, I'm just gonna head down, do my job, clock in, and then, and then out. Uh, as a student, it's easy to, to have that kind of tunnel vision, especially at the end of a, of a semester. I know my students are, are in that right now, right? Do you, sometimes you gotta hit the books, but, every, but, but pray for the margin. Pray for the grace and the strength to look up from those stacks every now and again. Look around and go, who can I create space for and, and, and welcome them. And, and, and so that I can encourage them in the faith, if they're believers, or perhaps share the gospel. And again, this requires God's strength, not ours. Right? Sometimes our wick is burnt to the nub. And that's, and that's what's gonna fuel our prayers, Right? is realizing we're kind of helpless. God loves to use people who are weak. God loves to use people who feel overwhelmed and harassed if they'll simply turn to him. Number four, do my words to others reflect God's word? Do my words to others reflect God's word? I saw a frightening piece of technology uh, a few weeks ago. It's this little armband, and it looked like a Fitbit. It's not a Fitbit. It's a digital recording device that will record everything you say or hear in your day, every conversation of your day, it will record and store on a chip that you can then upload to your computer and stick in an MP3 file. I think you're all having a similar reaction that I had, which is just abject fear. Can you, I mean, who's safe? Whose brilliant idea was this, right? A blackmailer, that's, you know, right? But, but think about that, you know? If, if, if you were to have that sucker on your wrist all day uh, and, and, and somebody then, you know, was auditing that, that script, you know, the conversations you had, would they form the conclusion, wow, this, this person speaks as though they're speaking the very oracles of God? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, let's pray for that, right? Let's pray for that daily, Maybe, maybe when you get up in the morning, just, Lord, whatever I say, whatever comes out of my mouth, may it be as if the very oracles of God, had, may, may it land that way. Maybe, may my speech be full of scripture and, and, and your words and your thoughts. And number five, do I pray for God's strength to serve others with my gifts so that he will be glorified and not me? At the end of all of this, we could pull up short because it's so easy, isn't it? I, I am so tempted by this. You know, it, you serve in the church or serve people outside the church. Uh, you use the gifts God has given you. You show hospitality and all these things. And you want a little bit of the glory, don't you? I want a little of the glory. Actually, I want a lot of the glory uh, if I'm honest with myself. But, but can we pray in such a way that, that God will get the glory and not us? that it'll be his strength that accomplishes it, not our own, lest we would boast about it and say, yeah, I'm pretty awesome, that's why. Okay. I want to close with a time of, of, of prayer and meditation. Um, and, and so let's bow our heads together. And I want to give you guys some time and space to, to meditate on this. Where is the Lord leading you? Listen to where he might be prompting you. Some practical things today, even this morning, and perhaps this week, and then I'll close us in prayer. Father, thank you so much that you have given us all things in Christ. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would give us the strength, give us the resolve to consider the things that you've put on our hearts, Lord, perhaps even written down, and that you would strengthen us to do these things. Help us, Father, to be loving and to be earnest in that love and to be hospitable without grumbling. Help us to shower others with grace the way you have showered us with grace. Thank you so much for these dear brothers and sisters and all the varied graces and gifts that you have given them. May we all use these things together for your glory and for your sake. Not that we can brag and boast that we're just this awesome church, but that Christ would be made famous and glorified here in Fullerton and to the ends of the earth. In his name we pray, amen.